0: I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair. It's a fair quest quest question. Hello, this is Vic Cohen broadcasting live from stunning, beautiful Skid Row Studios in downtown Los Angeles, California, and the name of the show is "It's a Fair Question," because on this show. Every question is a fair question. That's right. There's absolutely no question that is ever too personal or ever off limits. And tonight, I gotta say, I am thrilled to have this very special guest in our studio sitting right across from me. Now, I had the good fortune to recently work with him on GSN's Game Show Network's hit new game show, The Chase, where he is executive producer now he's known in Hollywood by many as a bit of a game show guru because well it's unlikely that there's probably a game show that you've seen there's that in some way he hasn't worked on he's worked on so many and he continues to be so prolific welcome to the show Bob Bowden thank you very much
1: Vic (laughs) Vic. it's 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 Vic it's it's Vic right
0: (laughs) yes it is Vic we should have spent more time talking yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah. yeah, you worked with them. It's, you know, Bob's biggest strength is getting to know his staff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Bob with one O.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, uh, some of the credits for for just to review for those who aren't familiar with your work. Um, I've noticed you've worked on Jeopardy, Family Feud, Don't Forget the Lyrics. And the list just goes on. And I don't want to spend the whole hour just going over your credits. Uh,
1: neither do I. Yeah. yeah.
0: But the most recent show is The Chase where yes. you and I had the good fortune to work.
1: I'm very, very proud of The Chase. Uh, it's a wonderful format. It's been uh, extremely successful in England. And uh, GSN had the great sense to uh, license the format from ITV Studios. And it has, uh, it's been on GSN since uh, August. Um, it's done very nicely. Uh, we're premiering our second season on November 5th, Tuesday at 8 o'clock uh, Eastern and Pacific Time. So um, we have uh, 11 more shows that are going to air, and we're very, very excited about them. They're they're very good shows, I can tell you that.
0: Now, my recollection is that GSN, and again, GSN, for those of you, there might be a one or two, Game Show Network. They have their own cable channel. If you haven't seen them, check them out. Uh, They were so excited, if my memory is correct, with the first set of shows that were shot. Did they not order more before they even aired
1: Yes, this was uh, unprecedented, not only for GSN, but in the industry overall. Um, We hadn't even delivered an episode for the first season. Explain
0: what delivering means. Delivering,
1: well, once we we tape the show in the studio and then it goes into a post-production process where we edit the show down to time.
0: Add the music, sound effects, a lot of that.
1: All of that. And so it takes a couple of weeks after we finish shooting to deliver the first episode. And uh, we get notes from the network and we address those notes. And uh, typically uh, after the season is delivered, they start to air the shows. And then based on the performance, they'll determine whether they're going to pick it up for a second season. In this case, GSN uh, jumped to the second season pickup before we even deliver in one episode.
0: Has that ever uh, happened
1: in your... Uh, it's never happened at GSN, and it rarely, rarely happens in the industry. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a risky move. It's a bold move. But uh, GSN apparently uh, believed in the show. And we're very happy with what we were doing and uh, they wanted more of it.
0: So how many shows aired that first cycle? Was it six? Six. Six. Okay. Yeah. But I think, did we shoot
1: eight? We shot eight. Uh, Two of them were held back for uh, what's going to be second season for scheduling reasons.
0: Great. So, uh, and those six did very well in the ratings. Very well. Yes.
1: Very well. Shows held up nicely.
0: Excellent. Well, it was a lot of fun. I had a great time working with you. Thank you. It, I did you know, too. Been, You've,
1: you did a great job.
0: Well, thank you. You know, and you too. And we've been wanting to, I've been wanting to work with you for years. So I finally got my chance. And you know, if you're working in game shows, it's kind of a, uh, I think, part of your career. You need to work with Bob Bode.
1: <laughs> well, I've, I've worked with him. He's a nice Yeah, guy. that's what yeah. I've heard. You've never yeah.
0: been able to get away from him. No, can't. Now I put up on Facebook that you were going to be my guest. And I got a flurry of activity of likes and comments and now I do have a lot of friends, Facebook friends, who work in the game show world and in television. But it did strike me at how many people were excited that uh, you were going to be on the show. Uh, wh- what is that?
1: Uh, well, beats me. I mean, I I've, I paid some of them, so uh, so that that's uh, you know part of it. But uh, and and you only put it up a couple hours ago, so it's not like you know people have had a a week or two to to. To, uh, absorb this I, I really don't know I mean there's a there is a fascination with game shows out there uh, certainly I subscribe to that uh, there are a lot of fans there are a lot of people who are I guess interested in in how they're put together and and uh, what goes into making one and that's you know that's a lot of what I've done over the years well so,
0: uh, well to me what my take on it was that there was an interest in Bob Bowden, that it wasn't just about learning the mechanics of uh, how a game show is put together or that kind of thing. Well, thank so, you. And I thought that was quite interesting. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Uh, now, the question on everyone's mind, I am sure, I'm going to speak for all of you because I know what you're thinking. It'll be a
1: fair question.
0: It will. They're always fair questions, yes. Bob. Yes. Now, you've worked on all these shows. You're working on a show now that's considered to be a hit. The question is, when someone has that kind of success and is so prolific, everyone's thinking, Bob, it's the elephant in the room. And I have to ask, who have you slept with to get your way to the top?
1: (laughs) Uh, My wife.
0: (laughs) And Um, what studio does she run?
1: (laughs) uh, uh, I I can't say the name. Um, (laughs) uh, No, I, you know, I, I, to whatever extent, uh, you could still have an honest career in this town. I think I've had one. Uh, I, I, I've worked my way up. I, I came out to, uh, Los Angeles from New York where I grew up. Didn't know a soul. Where um, New York were you from? Uh, Flushing, Queens. Okay. Um, just like the nanny. Mm-hmm. And so. But without the accent. I, without the, well, I had a little more 35 years ago, but, uh, I, I really just, I, it sounds trite, but I came out with a dream and, and my dream was to, to work in television uh, I had always loved game shows growing up. And when I was in uh, grade school, middle school, high school, um, there were still a lot of game shows in New York, so I could entertain myself and my friends came along with me and we went to many tapings uh, of of the shows that were, were still left in New York. And as time went on, m- most of those shows either went away or some moved to L.A. The, the business really sort of shifted to L.A., and I was graduating high school, and I thought, I need to go to L.A. Um, to follow my dream. Um, and I, know, I really know it sounds weird, but I, I came out here really just wanting to break into this thing. And sure enough, after pounding on doors and, and, and uh, um, telling people of this bizarre dream that I had, enough people cared and, and let me in.
0: Now, when you say the dream, we need to be very specific. You're talking specifically about working on game shows, Pretty correct? Pretty much, Not yeah. sitcoms, dramas.
1: Pretty much. I, I When I was um, looking at different colleges, um, UCLA was at the top of my list because I knew that they were connected to the industry. Um, it was an affordable school that I, I thought I could get into at the time. And um, I went to my high school counselor and I said, I want to go to UCLA. And he said, where's that?
0: <laughs> Very bright and counselor. This is,
1: the, this is my, my high school. <laughs> it's family. outside
0: New York, he yeah. doesn't.
1: Right. Everyone, everyone went down the street to the college that was near our high school, Queens College. And so when I said UCLA, he literally didn't know where it was. He had to look it up so and then he he came back to me about a week did he later. speak english yeah he, he he knew his stuff but it was a very limited scope of schools that the 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 kids went to so he came back to me about a week later he said i sent away for a packet of information i've got it for you uh and he handed me an envelope from usc <laughs> and i guess he didn't know the difference uh which i mean this wasn't 150 years ago it was yeah. you know gosh i hope it wasn't that long ago but he really just didn't know anything. So I, I carried the ball from that point. I applied. I got in uh, and I- To UCLA. Uh, I went, got to, got into UCLA, got on a plane uh, with all my belongings, uh, arrived at the dorm um, and started my life here. What dorm? Um, uh, Hedrick Hall. <laughs> Hedrick Hall, room 466. <laughs> Do you
0: remember the number?
1: Uh, 466. That it's was funny. That's
0: the game show mind. Yeah. Right? Yes.
1: Yeah. Well, sort of, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. No, I lived in that room for four years and uh, uh, I used to, um, I was a theater major, so I didn't have a lot of tests, which is why I chose theater to be majoring in. And so during finals week, I would hold Jeopardy tournaments in the dorm because I never had finals. And I was the uh, the relief for everybody to take a break from studying and we played Jeopardy! In the, in the conference room in the dorm. At the time, Jeopardy! wasn't on the air. So uh, I had the old box game from the 70s, and I would just bring that into the, the dorm lounge, and, and we would just play Jeopardy! every night at 11 o'clock. <clears throat> and uh, I, I was the entertainment
0: so you the host i was the host was that your last hosting job
1: uh it should have been it should have been yeah i I do run throughs every once in a while but it's not my strength
0: every um not every but many people in the entertainment business from a to z have a secret start they had a secret passion to perform at one point Mm -hmm. has that ever been part of your fabric fabric or (laughs) fabric thank you wick i just Um, created a new word
1: um i you know i i'm not really an in front of the camera guy um I like doing run-throughs because I, as a producer, I like to have the control over the format and I like to understand the dynamics of the format so that when I hand it over to the real talent, to the host, I can relate to what they have to uh, absorb and what they have to uh, manage in their mind to host a particular format. But I don't really have any desire to do it myself and I'm not, that's not going to happen.
0: Uh for those of you who don't know what a run through is during the process of getting a show prepared to actually be taped, the producers test the format, kind of tweak it and uh and and get a sense of how well it's working and and where little changes might need to be made so that's yeah. where Bob would be in the trenches uh, playing host
1: yeah yeah, and it really is it's it's partly um to test the format and and when I do the run throughs, it's really for me to understand the hosting role so that when I get a host into it, I can really train them properly.
0: Speaking of hosts, one of the things that I have always found fascinating in working in game shows is how close to a tape day the host is sometimes hired.
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) it's not ideal. It's not ideal. I mean, you, you, you do want some time, especially for a new format, uh, and, and sometimes for someone who hasn't either ever hosted a game show or hasn't done it frequently, um, you want some time to really allow them to drink it all in, to get it into their system and own it. Because it's one thing to just, you know, sort of read the lines and, you know, hello and welcome to our show. Here's how we play and, and uh, you do this. And if you do that, then this will happen. And if you don't do this, then that'll happen. And, you know, it's, it's easy enough to, to get through the mechanics but to really own it, to understand the dynamics, what the players go through, what what's in their mind, um, w- what value you bring to the process, it takes some time. It, it's not something that's just you know, even even the best hosts when they when they learn a new format. It may be intuitive to them. The beats of the show may be intuitive to them. But the actual structure and what the the design or the beauty of that particular format, take some time to unveil and 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 own. And so if you get a host two, three days before you're taping, it's usually a disservice to the show and to the host
0: I a hundred percent agree. And I was thinking, as you were speaking about my days um, on deal or no deal as a creative consultant, that which really meant I was writing for Howie Mandel and mm-hmm. working with the producers and developing. Uh, twists and turns in the game. It was a great experience. I remember I was very impressed with how hard, uh, how he worked in preparing to host that show. Uh, literally, he was in this like, basement uh, with the creator of the show. Mm-hmm. This, I think he was Swedish or something. He's from another country, yeah. far, far away. Dick Derrick. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. He knew The creator from Endemol. Mm-hmm. Uh, Endemol is a uh, multinational, I guess, a company. who yeah. cre- yeah. creates formats. Global, yeah. Global would be a good Uh word for it. And so this guy with this accent and very uh, passionate about Deal or No Deal. It was cool to talk to him Uh because he said he, I believe he said he created the game using matchsticks. You know, you never know how these games get created. But nevertheless, uh, and if you haven't seen Deal or No Deal, this is the game with Howie Mandel with 26 models and 26 briefcases Uh with someone hopefully getting the case with a million dollars. But nevertheless, uh, Howie, it was like this guy was like a drill sergeant and it was work. And, yeah. I, and I agree with you if Howie didn't, if it wasn't in his DNA by the time that thing was done, then I don't think he would have been able to be so, uh, you know, just comfortable, comfortable yeah. making it his own.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it, it, there's, there's so many different skills involved in hosting a show and the ones who do it the best, who make it look easy, generally put in the most work to get there. And um, if you look at some of the, the best classic hosts of all time, you know, they worked quite hard to get to that. Ooh, that who stature. are we
0: talking about in your mind?
1: Uh, Bob Barker is, is you know, a, a great example. Um, if you go back a ways, Bill Cullen um, was a, a, a wonderfully talented uh, man who...
0: How do you spell that if we wanted to look him up on
1: Bill online? Cullen, C-U-L-L-E-N. Uh, there's a, a brand new book out about him that I'm reading now um, called Quizmaster. And um, he was an amazing host. Um, and that's all he did. You know, Bob Barker used to say, uh, you know, I don't sing, I don't dance, I don't tell jokes, this is what I do. And uh, he did it among the best of anybody. Money Hall? Um, Money Hall, amazing, amazing, amazing man uh, who uh, was uh, not only a great host but also a great producer. He was one of the first creator producers to also host his own show, and he was great at it.
0: I uh, I had the good fortune to work on a newer version of Let's Make a Deal, mm-hmm. uh, not the one with um, the Wayne, current one, Wayne Brady. Not that one, but an, another one. And actually, this one was hosted by Billy Bush. It was an NBC primetime special, mm-hmm. and his daughter Sharon was the executive producer. And yes. then Monty would come in quite often. And um, I asked Monty where they came up with the name. Uh, Let's make a deal, Mm -hmm. and uh, he said they were crossing Sunset and Vine, having a conversation, and I just thought that was so interesting. That
1: that makes sense, yeah. Because I just love
0: to hear like where people think of certain ideas, you know, because they're just we're just people. Everything's an idea; it all comes from our brains.
1: There was a a show I was involved um, in creating with uh, with Dick Clark uh, about uh, uh, fourteen years ago now, and uh, we were. Uh, trying to come up with the next big quiz show after Millionaire had launched. And uh, Dick's company called me in to have me um, work on this this concept. And I came up with some ideas. I brought them in. We discussed them. And then we said we need a catchy title. And uh, the first title we had was uh, All for One, which is... Not all that catchy. It's it. It described what the concept was at the time, but it really wasn't something that you go, ah, that's a catchy name. So we were sitting in the conference room trying to to you know figure out the the beats to the show before we went in to pitch it, and we said we need something that's gonna just set everybody up to go wow. And we we said uh, I, I think I said if I recall. You know, it's it it it's got greed at its core, you know. So maybe we say the greedy people, the greedy bunch, the greedy gang, the greedy this. And Dick said, what about just greed? And everyone in the room lit up and said, it's so simple. It's so clean. It's what the show is. It's what many game shows are about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it pops through. Uh, and so we uh, we got the title cleared. We pitched it. Uh, with that title. And um, it got on the air on Fox, which was a perfect fit for Fox because Fox was edgy and, and you know, younger skewing than the other broadcast networks. And that title meant something. And, um, you know, the rest of that show is history. It didn't last terribly long, but uh, it had some success for a brief period. Um, but it was a show about greed and it was a Perfect title that you know. I uh, I was surprised nobody had ever used before.
0: It's exciting, isn't it, when you come up with a show yeah. idea, a title, anything that everyone responds to, and then you see it being put out there. I've it had is. those moments. It's amazing.
1: It's very it's exciting. exciting. You know, another thing that that um, many game show producers can relate to, and sometimes it's easy to forget this, but you have to remember it. Uh, I think to be successful and to to stay relevant, and that is that. The people who come in and out of these shows, the contestants, they're civilians. They're, you know, average people who have a, a skill, a talent, something that makes them special, um, special enough to uh, to play, to win and and special enough to get on the show. Whatever, you know, telegenic qualities they have that 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 a, a production team might be looking for. And in the time frame that they are on that show, we really changed their lives, and I, I don't say that as in we're the most important thing that will ever happen to them. But for many people, it is the highlight of their life. And they may never experience something as life-changing or uh, as life-affecting as being on that show. And that doesn't mean they have to win a million dollars or a new car or a trip around the world. It just means that for that brief time, they experience the catharsis of being on television Showing off their their talents, um, getting whatever fame or recognition they feel they deserve or have been denied or or seek or whatever, and then you know, for many of them, a check arrives or a, or a you know package arrives, and and that's what they've earned, um, and for many people, that's, that's life changing. That's something that when you, you know, say, well,
0: when you say you need to remind them, do you think producers forget that?
1: It, it's easy to, because when you're in a, in an assembly line of shows and, you know, I mean, we, we've only done 17 episodes of the chase and many of the shows I've done have had, um, you know, less than a hundred episodes. But if you look at a show like, you know, Price Is right. That's had, you know, 10,000 episodes. Okay. Uh, it's easy to say, oh, you know, what? I, I don't remember what happened on show, you know, 6,427, uh, but the people who are on episode 6,427 sure as heck do, because yeah. that was the highest peak, that was the peak of their life. That was something that, that they'll never experience again.
0: Well, One thing that you're reminding me that I think is very important, which I've observed from working on a ton of game shows, not as many as you, but many, is that in my opinion, the show star is not... The host necessarily. Mm-hmm. Now you might have a star host, but I really ascribe to the idea that it's the contestants who are the stars. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah. In the, most shows, that's the case.
0: Yeah. You know, I mean, there are some exceptions, I'm sure, yeah. but you even look at um, like singing shows, competitions and the end of the day, mm-hmm. while the judges are important, if the, if the talent isn't there, there's really no show.
1: Right. You know, a, a, a good host generally will understand that even though they're the front man or the front woman, um, they are not necessarily the stars and that their job is to make the civilian contestants shine. And again, it is their moment. You know, the, the host goes through, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of episodes and it's their job and, and they, you know, come in and they do their shows and they go home. But those people who are there to win something, um, that's really special to them, and and you need to keep that in mind. I think if you do these shows,
0: the one thing also that I find fascinating, I've I've been really lucky in that I've never worked with a host who did who didn't really give it his or her all. I've I've only worked with great people, but I'm always amazed when I hear stories about hosts who aren't happy to be there, don't want to be there, mm-hmm. rude to the staff. Yep, where's that coming from?
1: Well, I I don't think it it, it necessarily is a function of them hosting a game show. I think they might be an unhappy person. Uh, They might, you know, feel they're in the wrong job. Um, They might not get the show. They may not just, you know, understand it or like it or find it appealing. Um, You know, some might not feel it's a good career move for them. Uh, You know, game shows continually fight the perception that they're um, you know, not the classiest form of television, even though they're one of the most enduring forms of television. Um, so some hosts, uh, you know, sometimes celebrity hosts.
0: That's uh, who I was thinking of. Yeah, that.
1: sometimes they do a show because they have to or they have a deal that requires them to or, or a manager or an agent told them they should. Uh, you know, sometimes it's not because they want to be there. And that doesn't usually turn out too well. Right. And and you can tell as a viewer that they're not enjoying themselves. And it's just like when we brief contestants, you know, what we say to them is that if you're having a good time, the people who are watching you will have a good time watching you and they will watch Mm. the show. They'll enjoy the show. And we say that selfishly because we want people to enjoy the show. But for the people who are on it, I, I don't think there's anything much more true than that is is if you're enjoying yourself people will enjoy watching you and that doesn't mean you have to be fake smiling all the time Uh, you know if you lose you should have the the sincere reaction to losing and that is genuine and that's real and that is you know one of the foundations of, of game shows it's 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 human interaction it's 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 genuine emotion wish fulfillment I mean all of these it's, things go into the blender
0: well uh Bob Sarrup no. my my feeling is I think you'd agree with me it's really the first form of reality TV in many
1: ways yes I mean you know you, you can trace reality TV back to you know, Five or six different routes. You could you could say candid camera. You could say real world. You could say real people. Well, I would say uh, candid
0: camera before a real world.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, and it was it was a you know an, a non scripted right that entertainment type of... vehicle. It started on radio. It moved as candid microphone. It moved to television. Um, the, I think there's a, a a pretty good school of thought that that was the first reality show on TV, um, and and you know game shows. To the extent that there is no script, that you don't know how it's going to happen, how it's going to end. There's a format, there's a structure, and, and, you know, to the extent that the lines of dialogue for the host, the rules and so forth are scripted. Um, But beyond that, who knows what's going to happen, you know? Right.
0: And also that's true behind the scenes. Absolutely, well, <laughs> the craziness of the business—that's a you, different game. <laughs> yeah, you should have
1: some idea what's going to happen behind the scenes. If I'm talking don't.
0: careers, though. Yeah, well, you know, careers are like you know, yeah. there's often a lot of uncertainty and not knowing what's happening and and things like that, which yeah, happens. Well,
1: it's 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 a it's a business that's in continual evolution, just like any other form of television. Uh, you know, I mean, there have been periods of time when sitcoms were more popular than other times and dramas were more popular than other times and reality shows and and game shows. Um, you know, there's there's not as much activity in, in prime time for game shows as there once was. Um, for quite a while there were none at all. Um, and then Millionaire, you know, started a whole new generation of, of primetime games, which has led to, you know, some some really good, interesting formats, uh, some of which have endured nicely. Um, but it's cyclical,
0: you know. Sometimes well, there's getting, a lot getting back to you had talked about how game shows sometimes in the past haven't been looked at as a maybe like an A type uh, form uh, form of television, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like taking second backseat to other forms. And I think the change happened more recently. With one of the changes was when Howie Mandel, Howie took over, mm-hmm. or not took over. He actually. Was the first host, so he didn't take over anything. But when he took Deal or No Deal, uh, and I think he, as a host, showed people that you can actually become a bigger star or uh, or enhance your career through hosting. Sure. Because after that, there were there were others that went out, uh, you know, those type of personalities to pursue yeah. game show hosting that weren't before. He was kind of, in some ways, a trailblazer yeah. in that regard.
1: Yeah, you know, in the earliest days of TV, the hosts came from, um, generally, either from radio, um, sometimes from sports, um, sometimes from news. Um, very few of them were actors or comedians. Um, hosts were regarded as sort of a different category of talent. Then, as the business uh, evolved over the years, there were a few celebrity hosts here and there who would take on a show, um, but it wasn't the trend. And the newer trend of of you know celebrity hosts, uh, comedians, and and actors becoming hosts, really was largely established by Deal or No Deal because it showed that you know you can be a you know talented performer in another world and. Be a game show host. Right. And that's okay.
0: And what Howie did, uh, and again, it was like a privilege to be ringside through that whole thing, both the, the primetime and the syndicated version of that show, is while the, while the contestants were still the stars, he it was Howie's show.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He owned the show. Very much. And that sent a new message, I think, to other personalities that they too could have a venue for themselves yeah. in the game show world. And I think, Bob, I think that game shows are the perfect format for a comic yeah You're I mean, in the moment absolutely. you need to be in the moment
1: you know and it, listening there's no question that that you know that the talents of of game show hosts do overlap that those of comedians um the idea of being in tune with your audience being able to uh have a uh, a remark that is unscripted that's spontaneous in the moment in yeah. the moment um Dealing with people, whether it's you know uh, uh, on, a, on a bad level, uh, a heckler in an audience, on a good level, somebody who's really enjoying your work and laughing out loud, um, you know th- those the, those ranges of talents I think do apply in some ways to games. It depends on the show. I mean, I don't know if if a comedian would be a good host for Jeopardy, for instance. Yeah, and I
0: don't think that's. You know, I agree that's not the right format for because yeah. there's. That truly is the format. Is a hundred percent the show mm-hmm. with a somewhat of a brainy, uh, yeah. cerebral host. Sure. There aren't, although humor is always a plus. I mean, you know.
1: You know, even even some of the more serious uh, hosts over the years have you know made people laugh and smile. I mean, you don't want to be so so down in the dumps that that nobody's enjoying you know the the uh, the show. You you want to bring out the best in people and it goes back to what we said earlier which is that they have to be the star.
0: Yeah, and a great comic, this is where it has to be the right comic because a comic might, some comics may not understand that this isn't a, you know, one hour, half hour at the improv or or whatever, you know, HBO special or Comedy Central. This is about the show Yeah, and the jokes come and and, and what a lot of comics don't know is that that's what gets cut.
1: Yeah, well, It's not going to be the gameplay. If a comic comes on thinking that they're going to use this as a tour de force for their comedy routine, they're generally not going to succeed.
0: Exactly. I agree.
1: Because the the shows, for the most part, are heavily formatted. You have to hit the beats. You have to be a traffic cop. You have to um, honor the mechanics of the show. And if you resist that and all you want to do is be funny... Your audience may enjoy your humor and your performance, but they're not going to understand or be invested in the game as much. And that's what your job
0: is. But that's, you know, and I think that through you as the executive producer can pull people back. And that's something that that's why you've run throughs and, you know, and work on that part of the performance as well. Yeah. But a lot of people don't, what I've observed, which I think a lot of people don't appreciate is that when a host is doing his or her job, 99% 99% of the time, there's a studio audience. Mm-hmm. And that audience, those are live people responding in the moment. Yes. So there are two shows going on. Mm-hmm. The, the host is performing for the at-home audience and for the studio audience. Yeah. And I have seen some hosts who've never been in front of a live audience not able to make it work, particularly in talk shows. Yeah. Not, you know, there was one in particular, never been in a talk show, never done anything live. Uh-huh. And she pretty much froze.
1: Well, and the opposite can be true too, where the host plays to the studio audience and might lose sight that there's a camera on them. And very often you've got to connect with the camera, with the yes. home audience. So if you're used to live venues with studio audiences or or, or uh, the venue of a comedy club, let's say, uh, you may not you know, have that connection to the camera and you might be thought of as detached from the show by the home viewers because they're not in the audience they're at home right so uh you you have to balance that and and a good host will know how to play both and understand the difference
0: now a lot of people as i said at the top of the show kind of think of you as a game show guru someone who they turn to uh get thoughts on formats and things like that how would you say you've earned that esteem where does that come from is it simply You've worked on a bunch of successful shows, so it's a small community, and people kind of respect your opinion for that. Um, or, I mean, where do you think this comes from? Well,
1: I, you know, I mean, I'm not sh- honestly sure I have earned it yet. I, I, I would hope to earn it. Well, over you
0: time. ran Game Show Network, is that um, correct?
1: I, I, ran programming for Game okay. Show Network. I didn't. I wasn't the president. Okay, but that, that is network. a yeah. big job. Yeah. Yes. Right. And yes. that
0: comes mm-hmm. to someone who really knows games. Yeah. And and.
1: I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, diminish my experience or, or what I've done, but if you're really good at this, you're learning every day. And I, I don't profess to know it all. I don't profess to be the best producer. I think there are many that have had, you know, far better careers than I've had. Um, I think what carries me into that level of, of respect, if, if there is such a thing in anymore in this town, uh, is my passion for it. And it, it's not just a job to me. Uh, there, there are some game show producers who look at, at game shows as, yeah, oh yeah, listen, I couldn't get the reality show, so I took the game show. And I never look at it that way. I'm proud to get the game show. Uh, I, I'd love to, you know, do more in the reality space as well, just because there aren't that many game shows, frankly. But I've never, I'm never embarrassed about it. I, I look at each game show that I do with the same passion and enthusiasm and excitement as I did when I was a kid watching them. And uh, whether I succeed or, you know, to what level I succeed, I suppose, in this, in this field, um, I keep coming back to how much I love it. And you, you can't manufacture that. You know, I... I uh, I'm proud of the shows I've done, most of them. there's a few. I'm not, but I'm not going to name them. Um, but I, I you know I, I I don't look at any of them and say, uh, I didn't put my best into it, uh, and that's because I love the form. um and i but i'm I'm learning it every day. There's all kinds of new things that I, I I try to put into every show that I do. I never just go by the formula.
0: Is there something you've recently learned that you'd like to share?
1: Well, you know, The Chase has been an amazing experience. Um, it it allowed me to do something uh, that I hadn't done before, which was take an existing format, a successful format from another country, and adapt it for the U.S. And with the great support of ITV Studios and the tremendous help from the executive producers of the British format, who were by my side the whole time, and helped me get through this. Um, I was able to take something and tweak it ever so slightly, so that it might work in this country in ways that are either cultural or or established in the television landscape, or are quirky about this particular format. And the tweaks I made are very tiny, but I think meaningful to the American audience. Um, And I'd never done that before. In all the years I've been doing game shows, I'd never taken a show from another country and brought it here. So, and that's apparently an important skill today because so many of the shows are imported from overseas. And whether it's who wants to be a millionaire or weakest link uh, or gosh, any number of other formats, uh, the, the other countries create them, establish them and keep them running And it's the job of the American producers to figure out how to transfer that success here. And in some cases, it's don't change a thing. Uh, If you look at the weakest link, I don't think they changed a a camera shot or a a lighting cue or a music cue or anything from the British version to the U.S. version. Had the same host. Um, And other shows have had major uh, surgery done on them, deal or no deal included. Uh, the yes. The original format of Deal or No Deal overseas um, had the round uh, or the the show I should say the format that became the American format was just the end game
0: ah, and the end game format. for those of you who don 't know formatting would be the final round
1: the, the bonus round okay. yeah um so that show had a tremendous transformation
0: now Bob uh, you said that you've come you came out to Los Angeles from New York went to uh, UCLA Mm -hmm. and then jumped into working in television uh, and particularly the game show world. We all have mentors. Mine, I I would say it was Howie Mendel in many respects. Mm -hmm. And I think we all need mentors. Mm -hmm. Someone who sees something in us that gives us an opportunity to express our creativity and blossom. Yeah. So who has been that mentor to you?
1: There are three that come to mind. Um, the first one is uh, a gentleman who's left us named uh, Barney McNulty, and uh, Barney is the man who uh, I, I guess you would say discovered me. Although that's a silly word, it's not like I was at Schwab's drugstore and he <laughs> pulled me aside and made me a movie star. But um, I was in the audience of a, uh, a an interview show at UCLA when I was a student um, in 1978. And I was just there to watch the show. The uh, the, the premise was it was a one-hour live interview with Lucille Ball.
0: Oh, that must um, have been amazing.
1: And so I was there attending UCLA, and they said, do you want to sign up to be in this audience? I said, sure, I'll do that. And um, they took questions from the audience. They didn't screen the questions. It was live TV. I raised my hand. I asked a question to, uh, to Lucille Ball. Uh, she gave me what was the question um, I asked her why she had never decided to do a variety show which at the time was you know a a pretty major form of of television and she went on with her answer and then turned it around to talk to me about you know well what do I want to do and I was blindsided because I didn't expect this to ever be about me I just wanted to talk to Lucille Ball um and after the show, this wonderful man named Barney McNulty came up to me and said, um, what's your phone number, son? And I'm thinking like, why is this man asking me for my phone number? <laughs> Hello.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: and uh, I, I tracked him down backstage and I said, you know, what, what is this about? And he says, I really liked your question. I thought you were, you were very bright and um, I've got some work for you. And uh, the next day I started my, my career in television as a cue card boy and um i learned so much in those years that i did that and barney was my first mentor who really um took what me was the through. show the very first show i worked on was a george burns special oh. it was the it was called the george burns 100th birthday special he was only 86 <laughs> at the time <laughs> but it was a cbs primetime special and it was a parade of classic television stars Lucille Ball, Milton Berle, Don Rickles, uh, Carol Burnett, uh, on and on and on, and I'm there. It's my first day backstage. Wait, your
0: first day was with on the show?
1: Yes. Like there was show. no
0: prepping or no, you, literally. No. He said, "Show
1: up at Television City, Television City, which I had watched all those years."
0: This is on at, uh, Beverly and Beverly Fairfax. Beverly and Fairfax.
1: And he said, "Show up at, at Television City, stage thirty-three tomorrow morning at nine a.m." And I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh, and then there's this parade of classic TV stars walking in front of me and I, you know, pinch me. I couldn't believe it. Um, so I did that job while I was in college. Hold on one. I want to just interrupt you for one moment. No, please.
0: What is a cue card boy?
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Um, in, in the earliest days of television, before there were electronic teleprompters, which are the, the, uh, the machines that today are computer driven. Um, that give the talent their dialogue so that, you know, whether it's a newsreader who's sitting behind a desk reading off the script from the, the teleprompter on the camera uh, or a, a host of a show or whatever. Um, there were cardboard and there still are on many shows. The late night talk shows still use cue cards for the most part. Um, there were there were pieces of white cardboard that you would write on with huge black markers and they were special markers that you had to unscrew the cap, put in ink.
0: But you were and writing on the cards?
1: I was printing them and flipping them. Those are the two jobs. So you're hand sure. printing. Hand printing.
0: Which is crazy yeah. because yeah. The, the people who really do this, you know, who are professionals, they have incredible immaculate handwriting. Well, how do you know I don't? Well, they didn't even <laughs> test your handwriting. They just said no. you're going to be the cue card No, guy. Th-
1: they didn't. And, and actually, I was... Not the neatest by any stretch, but I was one of the quickest writers. And so whenever there was a pitch, whenever there was, we did a lot of the Bob Hope specials, whenever he would change jokes last minute, they would call me in to write up the cards really fast because he would change the whole monologue, you know, 10 minutes before we were going to to tape. These are
0: live sometimes or always on tape?
1: I did a lot of live shows, but his shows were were always taped.
0: Ever put up the wrong joke?
1: Um, Well... The, the the line that, that became one of my nicknames over time was, um, because I was so fast at writing these cards, but not the neatest, uh, they would sometimes integrate my cards into a deck that had already been printed by someone who had far better penmanship than I did. And so you'd find a neat card, a neat card, a neat card, and then my sloppy card, right. which had to be sloppy because it was fast. And so one time we were flipping a monologue for Bob Hope, and it was neat card, neat card, neat card, Bob's card, uh, my card. And he stopped dead in his tracks because he couldn't read my sloppy card after all the neat cards. And he said, who wrote that card? The doorman? Just
0: <laughs> <It's laughs> so Bob, Bob Hope?
1: Bob Hope said that about my card. So I became the doorman to to. My, many of my coworkers. That's funny. Um, who are the other so two real the quick? The other two real quick. One is an, a wonderful man named Michael Brockman, who was my boss at CBS when I first became an executive there and taught me so much about daytime programming, about game shows, um, and was just a, a kind, gentle soul who understood my passion uh, and allowed me to to blossom And the third... Wait, one second. It's a
0: cliffhanger on number three, but I want to get back to Michael. You said you worked daytime programming. How long did you do that in in a real brief description?
1: I I, uh, started in research at at CBS Television uh, in 1983. And from the research department, I moved into a management training program that I was very lucky to get chosen for. And then I got to choose my job at the end of that program. And I chose to work in daytime programming, which at the time was a mix of... Game shows and soap operas, okay. right, for the most part. Got it. Michael became my boss and and a wonderful mentor, and I later worked for him at ABC as oh. well. And great man. Uh, and the third and and most famous of, of the three is Dick Clark. And Dick Clark was not only uh, a, a amazing superstar talent that everybody knows, but he was also to me a, a kind, gentle soul who was almost like a dad to me. Um, and he saw that my passion was uh, what drove me. And, and he loved that I loved game shows and he loved having me around, at least as far as I know, he treated me so nicely. Um, and, and when it came time to find a show to compete with Millionaire in 1999, um, he had his company call me. And said get Bob in here I want him to help us create a show
0: Ah, uh, that's um, amazing
1: and and for that uh, you know I, I got to be an executive producer on a primetime show sharing a, a credit with Dick Clark which was a dream come true because when I was growing up in high school and I would go see tapings of pyramid um, I would wait outside the stage door to get his autograph so it was a wonderful association I had with him and I miss him so much
0: is this, was he someone you'd be talking to every day prior to him passing? I mean, was it that kind of Not relationship? Not every
1: day. No, no. I mean, I, we, we, were, we were more colleagues than, than friends. I mean, I, I, we traveled in different circles. But to the extent that if I ever called him for something, he would get right on the phone or call me back immediately. Um, he always had a, a real uh, passion for my passion. Yeah, and that's special. He, he got me, and um, when you have such a quirky passion, not everybody gets you, but yeah. it, he did, and um, I I
0: really miss him. Well, um, it does take people like that to. We all get touched if we're lucky, and uh, and definitely that you got that was a, a a great thing because you can't even plan it. You know, the connections and, and chemistry are just what they are. Yeah, you couldn't have said I'm going to meet Dick Clark and he's going to really enjoy me and he's going to see something in me and we're going to work. You know. It's just either well, is there or not.
1: As I worked for him for just a few years, um, it, it became a you know a joke in the office that I was the guy who used to stand outside the stage door at Pyramid waiting for his autograph. So one of my nicknames—I tend to have a lot of nicknames—I don't know what it is—but one of my nicknames in that company was the stalker.
0: Because, <laughs> That's not a because, nice
1: nickname. No, but it was it was done with with love and admiration because he knew that that's where it all started for me was i you know i i just so wanted to be a part of this yeah and he respected
0: that yeah i mean you're a great example of of how passion can lead the way in hard work and good work now
1: I, i try to share that with my kids you know i try to tell them that you know no matter how life um gets tough sometimes if you keep your passion and if you, you stay focused on what you love and what you want to be and what you're about, it'll get you through the rough spots.
0: Now, I don't want to get too heavy and philosophical here, but I'm going to. Okay. Bob, wouldn't you say that we all are living in our own personal game show?
1: <laughs> That's a fair question. It is a fair uh, question. <laughs> yeah, I, you
0: Everyone's know. looking for those, uh, you know, cash and prizes as they go through life. Most people, I don't know if it's I mean, healthy, but... I try not to because I don't find that a healthy state of mind.
1: But I mean, look, that that's that's a little heady for me. I'm I'm not really a philosopher. I'm a game show producer. <laughs> you know, I, I I love it, and I do believe that one of the key principles of game shows is wish fulfillment, and that everybody has that moment where they want to come on down and win something. But I I. I can't really speak to the, you know, the the, the true uh, psychological impact of, of, you know, being in your own game show. I,
0: well, I think it's I an interesting know. idea. Maybe it's a little, it's for another show. Yeah, maybe <laughs> but, another show. But if you think about it, Bob, I mean, truly, most people do go through life hoping to get something, whether it's a prize sure. and they find ways to, you know, achieve certain goals and, and dreams. And speaking yeah. of that, um, one of my wishes and that I am passionate about is being game show host okay so we're going to actually play a little game right now oh we are Um, yes this is going to be my audition okay it is a hostage situation Bob Uh, you have nowhere to go
1: that's true but to
0: partake now when's the last time you were contestant because you're going to be my contestant
1: oh my Uh, I'm not a very good contestant well I think you're gonna do well because I have
0: custom created these questions okay just for you Jeremy can we have some kind of game show music Vic Cohn, and welcome to Vic Cohn's It's a Fair Question. Our first, our first guest ever in the history of Vic Cohn's It's a Fair Question, the game show, is Bob Bodum. Welcome to the show, Bob.
1: Well, hello there, Wick. I mean, Vic. <laughs> you know, I
0: think I called you Bob Bobum. Yeah, Bo- that's Bob Bob. close enough. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for your first question? I Maybe. <laughs> your first question. Now, when working on, uh, when working on The Chase, yeah. often I'd hear you say, free food. <laughs> yes so i have i've have hand selected prizes that are food oh for thank you. you good and for this question yes. you are going to get oh some, cheese puffs some simply simplify that is the generic you know it's our first question we have to build you know on our prizes uh-huh uh this is a real uh, made with real cheese cheese puffs with zero grams of trans fat per serving okay oh, are and, you ready and
1: good for you
0: it's you know what it's yeah. per, it's great for you and I think you, I could see you eating these on the way home in your car. Very and likely, Going yes. home with yes. orange fingers. Yes. <laughs> Here is your question. Are you ready? Okay. Put 10 minutes on the clock. No. 10 minutes? <laughs> I'm kidding. God. In what year did Alex Trebek first host Jeopardy? 1984. That is correct.
1: I get the cheese puffs. He gets
0: the cheese puffs. Now, you have a choice, Bob. Yeah. You can keep those cheese puffs and go home now. Okay. Or. Oh, you can play on for this two-and-a-half-pound bag of Brock's candy corn. It,
1: in here. It, it.
0: <laughs> now, if you are incorrect, then I'm going to have to take those cheese puffs back.
1: Oh. That, that, that
0: and already could, in your bag. Could, this is a tough question.
1: Could be a benefit. Yes. Okay.
0: Would you like to go on?
1: Um, I will risk the cheese puffs for the candy corn.
0: Okay. Yes. Here we go. This is for cheese puffs. Yes. And a two-and-a-half-pound bag. Bag of aprox, mm. candy corns. Yes. Here's your question. Please listen closely. Yes. Price is Right is the longest continuous running game show in the United States.
1: Uh-huh.
0: What is the second largest continuously running game show?
1: The second longest continuing, continuously yes. running, and it's conti-
0: It is running today.
1: uh I would have to say Wheel of Fortune.
0: That is correct.
1: Okay. And you get that
0: two and a half pound. All right. Now I might stop. (laughs) The the
1: audience is I can hear the audience yelling, stop. Well
0: before before you decide. Yes. I have a pumpkin full purple purple pumpkin full of incredible candy. Uh-huh. M Ms and all those fun size this things. Is, I know is why you love. you were love. at Walgreens before the show, <laughs> exactly. right? You're getting my prizes. Exactly. i all was right. getting your prizes. All right. Now, Bob, you've already won a two and a half pound of Brock's candy corns. Yes. Right there. You've also won a beautiful bag of cheese puffs. Mm-hmm. And now up for grabs is about a pound and a half to two pounds of assorted chocolates, Twix, M Ms, Starburst, and Snickers. Everyone's favorite. Just when I need. Do you want to continue and play on?
1: Is this the last question?
0: Uh, there is a bonus question. There is a bonus question.
1: Now, if I stop now. If you stop now. Do I you, not get the bonus you
0: question? I uh, will still <laughs> give you that, but you will be out the candy. I'll be
1: out. Okay.
0: Now, you've done very well. Yeah. I think that you have a little something to prove because I've been billing you as like this game show yeah, so, expert. so to leave now would kind of so make you look a little it, lame.
1: <laughs> it's a no-win situation for me if i if I risk and get it wrong, then i've I've lost the title, basically
0: that yeah, I mean, I th- but if mm-hmm. you don't go, you kind of look like a wimp mm-hmm. if you leave today.
1: okay, let's go for it.
0: He's going for it. All right. here it is for all this candy. and again, there's still one more question to go, okay. Who was Wheel of Fortune's very first announcer in 1980?
1: Well, Wheel of Fortune came on before 1980.
0: Okay, we might have to go to our research department. Yes.
1: Yes. Wheel of Fortune came on January 6,
0: 1975. Okay, let's <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to kill my, I should get the I'm going to kill Wikipedia. Should, I'm going to kill Wikipedia. I, kill Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let, I have a backup question. Okay. See, this yes. is why there's editing. Okay. You yes, know, like if we, yes. we would cut this question and it okay. would be a whole discussion and and this is a very serious question, Bob. Yes. It might sound right. frivolous, but it's not. All right. It's very serious. All right. And I really want you to take it seriously. All right. The question is, what letter cup size is Vanna White?
1: <laughs> you know, I've done a lot of research over the years. <laughs> I, I've never really studied that. Uh, I... I, I I don't know. A, uh, B, uh, or C. I, I, I'll say C.
0: You are correct. Oh my! Ding! Do we have a sound?
1: We have a ding! <laughs> wow! There it goes. You spared no expense on the sound effects. All right.
0: That's right. That's uh, Jeremy in there.
1: I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. I've got enough candy for Halloween okay. and then some.
0: This one is a is kind of a gimme.
1: A freebie. Okay. All right.
0: Yes, and that is what letter cup size am I?
1: Um, let's see. Take a close look. Uh, I'm going to say uh, A minus.
0: Actually, it's a B.
1: You are not a B.
0: <laughs> You're right. It is an A. And you get for that a Jared oh. Deli, chocolate squares, dark in sea salt caramel. And we want to thank oh. you all for listening and joining us. Thank you. We're not done with the interview, but we are done with the game show, Vic Cohen's It's a Fair Question. Can I have some music to take us away? Yeah. All right, well, that was great, Bob. Well, thank you. How'd that feel?
1: Um, pretty good, pretty you're good. Back I, in the hot seat. I, I, I felt like a contestant.
0: Are you feeling like maybe giving up the producing and just going back to uh, hounding con- shows to be a contestant? Uh,
1: no, I kind of like what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, when well, you're doing great. Don't stop. <laughs> thank you. want to wrap up here with a couple final questions. Okay. Where do you see the future of game shows? hmm And I also want to know where you see your future. Oh, <laughs> well. Let's start with the future uh, of game shows. Sure.
1: Sure. Uh, you know, I think game shows will continue to evolve like all other forms of, of entertainment. I think that they will continue to be adapted to different types of media, different types of platforms. Um, I think that uh, the days of thinking of game shows only as, uh, you know, linear television uh, are are over. I think that the the... Core element of game shows, which is interactivity—be it with the live contestants in the studio or the viewers at home—I uh, think has already been elevated well beyond that, and I think it will continue to to be elevated. Uh, you know, there, there's there's been efforts made in in the last few months to get more and more people at home playing games on the web that interact with television shows, mm-hmm. and I think that world is just really just beginning. I I think ultimately there will be a lot more of that experience so that it's not just, I have to tune in a show at a certain time on a certain channel to watch it. I think it will be ever present.
0: You predict a day where there is no TV, everyone goes to their computer?
1: Well, I I mean, I'm not that much of a prognosticator. I, I, I would say that Certainly, there is going to be a continued convergence of of platforms to the point where uh, it it will be less distinguishable as to what's TV, what is web, uh, what is mobile. Um, All of these things are are already converging in in different ways. Um, My younger daughter, she looks at YouTube or, or whatever other, you know, web service that provides video and doesn't think of that as different from watching it on a television screen. Mm -hmm. It's all TV to her. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's going to continue to, to be the prevalent force is that, you know, video digital entertainment is what it's about, regardless of the distribution source, um, and the, the platform that it's on.
0: And what about you? Where do you see yourself? What's the goal?
1: Well, I you know, I love what I'm doing. I I would I would love to continue working. I I uh, am dedicated to uh you know, a, a a career as a producer. Uh I could also wind up back in an executive job one day. I mean, I'm 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 open to anything. I um I'm very fortunate to um to have, you know, uh, a a great resume and a lot of skills that I've developed over the years. And um, you know, I just I just want to work, I want to do what I love. And uh I'm I'm doing it now and I'm I'm very grateful for that.
0: Yeah, you know, listening to you reminds me of myself in one you know, not the it's exactly like I'm hearing myself speak, but you have such a there's so much gratitude. It I hear in your voice. I'm about very, the fact that you you get to work in this business, sure.
1: I'm and, very lucky. I mean, you know, everyone grows up with dreams. I have been fortunate enough to to live out um, one of my big dreams, and I'm not done yet. i no, I hope I have a lot more. you are just
0: beginning, and I'll tell you, you know, for me, it's like when I get a, a job, any job, anything I'm doing, even this right here, you know, this podcast. Not to minimize it, but anything I'm doing, and I feel so privileged because I know there are so many other people that would love to be in that position. And mm-hmm. it's such a gift to be able to do something you truly love.
1: Well, and I, I think you, you're doing a great job and, and I really enjoyed being on your show. Uh, I, you do your homework and you uh, you really bring a passion and a, an excitement to what you do as well. And I have a lot of respect for that.
0: Well, thank you, Bob. That's really nice for you to say. And, and I know you mean it. So thank you. And I want to thank all of you again for joining us it's been just a a great hour with bob Bowden. i learned so much and there's so much more i wanted to talk to you about so maybe we'll do it again sometime i would love that i would love that too and i want to thank you all for joining me here right here on vic cohen's it's a fair question i'm vic cohen and it's a fair question it's a fair question. It's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair question. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair question. I'm Vic Cohen, and it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair quest, quest, quest.